one of the things that we realize, especially if you're a busy working person, is that any input is net positive input. Let me tell you about my elite training. So remember, I have every access to all the tools, techniques, everything. When I had two babies and we were starting this whole thing and writing the book, I would do, this is a decade ago, I'd do the 10, 10, 10 at 10, which was 10 pull-ups, 10 push-ups, 10 squats for 10 minutes at 10 p.m. That's all I could do. And I just moved my body for 10 minutes. And I was like, well, hope that's enough. Maybe I, you know, maybe I'll feel less gross. But when I had more time, I opened up. When I had less time, I just focused on these aspects. And when you start to realize, as you're saying, they compound yeah. these net little pieces, really start to aggregate. And what you'll see is anything you track will start to be better. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? That was my dear friend, Dr. Kelly Sturett. Kelly, if you are not familiar with his awesomeness, he is the co-founder of The Ready State. He's a head coach and an amazing physical therapist. And I feel like those monikers are very limiting to the vast knowledge that Kelly has around the human body, human performance, um, longevity, a bunch of different stuff like that. He and his wife, Juliet, are legends in that space. Uh, he's been a guest on the show before. He has an amazing creative live. Class. Uh, I originally met Kelly and Juliet through my dear friend Tim Ferriss. And in today's episode, we essentially break down uh, a handful of very, very interesting, uh, a lens rather, on a handful of interesting attributes of the human being. And it's essentially a vital signal gathering of the body. Now, it's not news that, you know, our physicality, our emotionality, our um, psychology, these are all very tightly intertwined. And in their new book called Built to Move, the 10 Essential Habits to Help You Move Freely and Live Fully, uh, Kelly and Juliet go really, really deep on these topics, specifically how to assess yourself. Are you able to do the things that you should do in your current physical state? And how are those things either positively, neutrally, or negatively affecting the life that you want to live. Um, in addition to understanding some of these basic principles, we go super deep on a couple of individuals, namely yours truly. I have been in, honestly, a really tough spot lately physically. I got a busted up knee, I got plantar fasciitis, and I was originally uh, reached out to Kelly prior to his book um, hitting you know, the newsstands or I guess the bookshelves here and asking for help. So that is the degree to which I trust this human. When I break, I call Kelly. So we use my own ailments as a little bit of an example. And I have agreed to now two weeks, two and a half weeks, rather after speaking with Kelly and making this recording, I'm now telling you that I've been following the specific prescriptions of Kelly and this particular book. And this is, this is not sort of hyperbole that I went from a doctor telling me I had a grade two MCL sprain in my knee to I'm, you know, squatting 250 pounds. So this is two and a half weeks and that sounds harebrained. I get it. I'm just telling you, this is the, the relationship that Kelly has with identifying what's wrong and giving you a prescription. And now what he's done with his new book, he and Juliet's new book called Built to Move game-changing. I think this is the book. If you're interested in 
your physicality and being healthy physically, you got to start here. So I'm, I'm ranting a little bit too much here. I get it. It's just because I'm very passionate about you know how Kelly's helped me and so many other people. Um, just a lovely, kind, smart, talented human. You're going to get a kick out of Kelly Stride if you have not. Yours truly and Dr. Kelly here up next. My dear friend, Kelly Surrett, welcome back to the show. My dear friend, it's been too long. It is great to see you. People don't know that I am such a fan. And your work ghosts me Come everywhere on. I go. Let me tell you, let me t- can I just start with a story? I'm going to hijack right. this right away. All right. So I work with this university division one team of women. They're superstars at local university. And every week, one of the athletes is tasked to present on something. and. I spent enough time with them that they, whatever the thing was about, they used a background of me that you took. It was a picture that you took in the studio and I'm squatting, kind of looking down to the left and I have hair and I think they grabbed it as like a, you know, try to punk me a little bit and show like, look, remember when you were young and fabulous, but I, a Chase Jarvis photo ends up as the PowerPoint background. There you go. For some university athletes. Presenting to other university athletes. That's how ubiquitous you are. There you go, man. Don't disrespect. 2010. 2010. Bring it back. Well, let me tell you something. Um, I have friends constantly who are not, would not identify as um, physical therapists or as even elite athletes that are constantly, as we're talking more about our physical health and longevity and so many of these things that are core to, um, I feel like, I don't know, science or pop culture now, we start to really care about taking care of our bodies. And they will constantly be referencing, oh, there's this amazing, it's, it's like the Bible of movement. Movement. It's called <laughs> the supple leopard. And I'm like, oh God, yeah, I know and love that, that guy so much. And Juliet. You guys are an amazing one-two punch. We're going to be talking about a lot of stuff today. Uh, you got a new book out uh, among those things. But for the, for the folks who might not be familiar with your work, how do you orient yourself sort of in, in the universe? What do you, would you call yourself a coach, a movement specialist? Uh, I know you're a, a doctor of some things. Talk to the good people. Tell them. Such a great question. When people sit down next to me on the airplane and I want to tune them out, I want to shut down. I'm like, I'm a physical therapist. And they're like, oh. Okay. And then that just ends the conversation. If I am being clever, I should adopt a phrase that really you all came to kind of represent this act of creativity, being a creative. Yep. And that really is much more akin to the idea of what we're trying to do. We have the most sophisticated structure in the known universe, the human brain attached to a physiology that is equally as complex and miraculous as the brain in really rich, psycho-emotional, complicated environments. Good. Now let's try to tear at those strings and see what's important. So what do I do? I get to come in and sometimes in my day job, part of it is helping world-class athletes, world-class teams Try to understand what's what. What are inputs and outputs so that we can feel better, perform better, and do it longer? And we've been trying to take this is why people also glaze over their plan as I explain this. We're trying to take those lessons 
in high performance sports and performance and actually transmute them to the people that matter. Those of us in live in communities, those of us who are not full-time athletes. So we're trying to make sense of human, high level human performance and trying to say, hey, look, here's how we can use that as a living laboratory to try to actually improve people's lives. So that sport isn't just entertainment. Yeah. Creativity and art and music isn't just entertainment. It's who we are and how we relate to the world. We want to do the same thing with movement. So where do we begin to kind of help people understand? Again, probably coach is most akin to that because there's yeah. so many issues. I might need to talk to you with about some different aspect to get sure. you feeling better. Well, this is, I'm so glad you phrase it as such. And when I think about you and Juliet, I do think I, I struggle to describe your all's work only because it's so vast, so far reaching mm. Uh, and very impactful. And when I, this is absolute straight up truth. When I get sick or broken or in any way sort of busted up, especially physically, I think, gosh, I need to reach out to Kelly because there's the most, there's this, uh, it's the, the intersection of physical therapy, of cutting edge medicine, of high performance, of, um, Humanity, there's a really interesting uh, amalgam that you guys have put together there that just makes me, you, you say, jump on one leg and, you know, twiddle your finger in the air and it's going to make you feel better in like five minutes. And I mean, I'm using this as an exaggeration, of course, but I do that. And then I'm like, wow, how do they know? Now, I, from, let's just go way back. I first became familiar with your work from our dear mutual friend, Tim Ferris. Would you guys just went skiing? How was your trip to Japan? Was it amazing? Bananas. <laughs> Good. And just so we're clear, everyone, I'm almost 50 years old, turned 50 this year. I was the oldest person on the trip. So, you know, trying to keep up with these youngsters, I literally <laughs> like, I'm that guy, you know? Oh God. I'm, well, I'm glad we'll, t we'll talk about Japan powder uh, after the, after we stop recording, but I'm glad you had a good trip. But so t Tim introduced us uh, some time ago and it was shortly after we had found a creative live and you all did a program, which was absolutely blew the doors off. We had not done any sort of physical movement, um, body, wellness, health, anything before. And you, you know, you, you just shook our community in the best way possible. And I like to think of the audience who are listening right now to the show as creators, as entrepreneurs. But first, we're all human. Yeah. And the reality is that we have to take care of this body that we are given. And even when we do, it sometimes breaks and we need to be able to go back to first principles. That is what I learned from you way, way back. Uh, and just to, I'll, I'll share a couple very personal stories here. I was having back problems and I'm not, I really have not been like a, my back hurts. I've always had a very strong core, haven't had back issues, very strong. You're, back. you're a collegiate athlete. I want to, I don't think yeah. people realize like you actually are a phenomenal athlete. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I played division one soccer and I was on the Olympic development team in the, one of those years when they don't have the Olympics, which is basically useless. Um, <laughs> but, but my, uh, I do identify as an athlete. And I remember one time in particular, you happened to be in the creative life studios recording something. I could barely walk. I was just like walking around. You're like, hey, what's okay? Come here, talk to me. I, I talked to you for 60 seconds. You said, okay, great. Lay down over this, do this, push this, move this. Okay. And now let's stand up and see how you feel. And I was like, what just happened? Like it was literally like voodoo. Like I had a, you were sticking pins. You didn't touch me other than to hold my knee back, I think at one point. 
There was no pins. There was no surgery. And I was hobbling around like a hundred year old person into the, into the green room. And then I walked out under my own power and was basically cured. And I'm not, this is not an exaggeration. So I say that only because I have come to rely on you personally. And that's one of the reasons I want you on the show. And I'm hoping that you can share some of, you know, you guys have a new book out, which is amazing. Uh, and I'm wondering if you can start off this sort of um, this, this parade that I'm, I'm trotting out here at the beginning of the show with why did you write the new book and what, what, what mission are you on now? In addition to what you said earlier, you know, you're like taking what you learned from peak performance and going to apply it to everyone. But why, why, where, where do we start? Because right now there's a lot of sick people or hurt people or injured people. I got back issues. Oh, my feet. I have plantar fasciitis. I get headaches all the time. My right shoulder doesn't work. Kelly, take these people to school. Oh, boy. So first of all, everyone just needs to know you just clap your hands together and you rub them tight like Mr. Miyagi. And that's step step one is believing that your body is a miraculous healing machine that seeks equilibrium, seeks health, that whatever you've been told on the internet, you're not fragile. And if we establish sort of, I think a lot of people sometimes we, our bodies are so extraordinary at buffering whatever we want to do. You can do a lot in your 20s and 30s. You can be really rowdy, even into your 40s. And then one day, something maybe not works for you anymore. And usually it's not, hey, I can't do that, but I've got pain. And pain so much that I, the things I used to do where I ignored or drink bourbon, those don't work as well anymore. And it's kind of lingering. And, yeah. and what we want to do for, for starters is say, hey, look, pain is a request for change. So if we can establish, because for us, actually pain is an entry point into a lot of self-discovery, of self-empowerment. And again, if we can demystify and sort of de-escalate pain, mm -hmm. that it, you know, pain doesn't mean there's trauma. Pain doesn't mean that there's tissue damage. Pain is your brain's interpretation of what's going on. And remember, you're, none of your tissues actually put out a threat signal. That's actually not what happens. It's all about how your brain interprets what's going on. It's genetic. It's subjective. Go ahead and let's be super hungover and, and super stressed and we won't sleep and we'll see how sensitive your back feels after this, right? Yeah. And, and so we know that there are some of my behaviors implicate that because they challenge how my brain's sort of sensitivity to what's going on. You know, tissue health matters a little bit in there. But the bottom line is people are like, eh, show me how to feel better. And what we can begin to say is, I think what's germane is that you sometimes call me, but I'm the node. If I have an issue with something else, I reach out into my circle and node. Yeah. And we feel like that's really the, the super magic. If we can get one person to have sort of a bigger set of tools or interests, then we can begin to sort of add valences to how we can apply these principles. So, so. This book, for example, is a built, result built to move. I'm going to say the move. title, Built to Move, the 10 Essential Habits to Help You Move Freely and Live Fully. We have been running an experiment in this country particularly, but globally, believe it or not. And fitness is a trillion dollar industry in the United States, trillion dollars. So theoretically, if we're running a trillion dollar experiment like pharma, let's just say we just put it akin to pharma or medicine or any other thing. This is health and wellness and being jacked and feeling good, ripping off your shirt on Instagram, right? Winning health. 
we should be able to say, well, okay, we're running this experiment. How is it going? Well, let's choose some of the things that we think are important. Obesity, diabetes, chronic pain. So if we choose one of the sort of metrics that you care about, diabetes, obesity, substance abuse, chronic pain, depression, substance abuse, choose something, HCL injury rates in soccer players under 14, 18, whatever. Literally every single one of those metrics is trending in a worse direction, saying that we're, we haven't empowered people to understand the choices that they're making. And the results are that we're not potentially living at a lower friction. We're having more sort of rough problems and experience kind of managing what, what we're doing, which manifests itself in the quality of my relationships, how I project myself into the world, the art that I create, the sports that I play, how I define myself in my culture. So if we've been running this experiment and it's not going, then we need to start asking a really different set of questions. And one of those questions is, is diet and exercise, does everyone not know that diet and exercise, that you need to lift a weight, that you need to watch what you eat? That message has been out there. And so I don't think we need another secret squirrel program. What we realized is that coming out of this high-performance environment, we saw that there were foundational principles, first principles, off of which we then built elite performance. Why? Because we're there. And it turns out if our English national soccer team, that's a team we worked with, uh, the All Blacks, the Niners, if they don't sleep, guess what happens? They don't play well. And it turns out on this side, if we have people who are in pain, who don't sleep, it's a lot more difficult for us to help them start to feel better in their bodies or help their brains to understand it's less of a threat. So what we've tried to do with this book is twofold. One is say, if you're an elite performer. We know that you probably have some blind spots. Here's how a set of programs and objective measures, not like, does it feel good? <laughs> that cookie made you feel good, but like, here's a sign of like a vital sign, red, yellow, green, about where you are in the world. And by the way, these are the practices we know that create immense durability, immense longevity and well-being that aren't exercise and diet. I want to just be super clear. This is not a diet and exercise book. If you don't identify with physical culture, where are you with you? If you don't identify with diet culture, we're still with you. And what we want to do is say, hey, let's untangle with a seemingly very complex Gordian knot. Juliet and I are two parents who have two daughters. We live in a neighborhood and people come up to us and they're like, what do you think about keto, intermittent fasting, blast cleansing? And we're like, whoa, whoa. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of confusion out there about how to take care of this machine. And as we approach 50, it's even more important for us to get these things right because we're going to be 100 years old. Let's say more about that for a second. This idea that we're going to live to be 100, the people who are, say you're 50 now, most people that they had some good years in them until they were 70 and then shit goes off the rails and Ooh. they're dead by 80, 80. What are you telling those people? You know, I think the research is clear that we have really extraordinary drugs to keep you alive yeah. and to manage these, let's call them aging processes, disease processes. If we kind of pale back for a second, talk to the entrepreneurs in this room. One of the things that we would say to you is, what is your quarter goal, right? 
you could tell me I'm looking at this much revenue. I want this much work. And then we could work backwards to today to try to hit that revenue target. If you were going to, we could, we expand that out to a year or five years, whatever. Everyone can relate to that. Or even savings. Hey, I want to retire one day. That means I need to do this today to have that. So if I say, okay, let's apply the same thinking that we're very comfortable with to your physicality. What does it look like in your brain to be 80 or 90 years old or hundred? Well, my dream is not be very lucid and to be very, very immobile and have someone take care of me. No one puts that on their list. Yeah. So if we did those things backwards and said, hey, I really want to be racing my friend, you know, Jarvis in his Corvette, I'm in my Corvette and we're, you know, at a ski trip and we get in trouble with the, the law when we're 90, what are the steps that work backwards? And it turns out, of course, it's not some heroic effort that I go to some spa retreat and for a week someone cooks me meals and I meditate and I have amazing sex and for that and then I go back to this life that has nothing related to that it looks like in a 24-hour cycle we created this thing Juliet and I called 24-hour duty cycle and we created it for working with the marine aviation weapons tactical school which is a really complex aviation weapons school like a special top gun school for the for the marines and what we did there was we started to realize these people don't have a lot of agency and control over their day. So where in a 24-hour cycle do I, as a busy working father, have some control and some agency? And we started with that idea first. Then we started to overlay what are these essential principles that I do today? Because I'm going to play this game again tomorrow and after that, after that. And pretty soon, I'm 90, I'm 100, and you and I are racing and jumping. This is my dream. Kate and I talk about being married. We got married when we were mid-20s. We talk about being, hey, wouldn't it be cool? Let's just plan to be married for 100 years. That would mean we need to live to 120. And I look at the inputs that I'm giving my body right now, and I'm wondering, hmm, I might need to change to adapt and adopt some different behaviors if that is an actual dream. Now, I'm, I confess, sitting here today, uh, my day-to-day -day does not always reflect or am i'm not always present to the idea that boy my number one mission here is to live really long no you I can't say, it's yeah, impossible, exactly. it's to impossible. Have and i wouldn't say that that that's not as you said it's not necessarily even healthy however when <laughs> orthorexia meet meet your tracking devices that follow <laughs> you around the internet right no 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 i agree with you right but when you ask me sitting here talking to you, who's a world-class expert on this, do I want to perform better? Perform better? Do I want to have more vitality? Yes is always the answer. Yes. All right. So this makes me want to shift gears and dive specifically into the book, because right now there are, I guess, if I'm thinking about my own, you know, passions and understanding, you know, longevity and health and wellness, it's not a mystery that how you feel physically affects you know, it's not just how your mind feels, how your body feels. It's the other way around, right? Your body feels good. Your mind feels good. And does, if I ask any one of my friends or anyone who's listening, do you want to feel worse? No one says, yeah, I want to feel worse to your point, the point that you, you know, made a short bit ago. So my understanding of what you've done, if you ask me, would you like to have available some of the knowledge that we, uh, you, Kelly and Juliet use to um, help optimize the performance of world-class athletes, Olympians, Navy SEALs, the, the, the cutting edge stuff, 
what of that stuff is applicable to us? And my understanding, you know, as I'm looking at the book here, you've got this in a basically packaged it in a very unique way that is accessible. That is sort of how I would define the work that you're doing right now is making this accessible for the most number of people. Why did you choose to do that? Why did you choose to do that? And two, how realistic is that goal? How can we perform (laughs) like, like Navy SEALs, you know, is the same training? What what, what are you adapting? Well, let's start, let's start with saying, first of all, when we hear those things, they're not, there's no objective thing. Like, so yeah, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to feel and look like that. Okay, great. What does that mean when you wake up? What happens when you have to get your kids lunch and you're running out the door and you've got meetings on your, on a computer all day long, where is the intersection between here is your laundry list of optimizing biohacking features and supplements you're going to take with where do I begin to sort that out? And do I want to spend my energy and my, my will credits I, you know, do, yeah. like, I don't want to have to make another choice. I think one of the things we can do is say, we look at the blue zones. Most people have heard of them. They're areas where people tend to have high quality of living or high, high quality of life. They see lower mortality, lower morbidity, have better satisfaction. We say, well, what's going on there? Those people haven't made a whole bunch of concerted choices where they like get motivated and they go to the gym. Their life is set up in a way that supports best first principles around being a human, around things that the body needs to just thrive and feel good and be more durable and have more resilience. And all of that runs in the background. And I think one of the things that we came out of the pandemic with was clearly an understanding that what we had been teaching, people weren't learning, which means is it the people or is it the teacher? Or is it the way we're developing or, or selling that? So I'm going to put it on me that, you know, that I did not do a good job of teaching people how to care for themselves. And what we saw through the pandemic was that we didn't do it very well. We're like, yeah. give me that cookie dough bourbon. So <laughs> it's just a thing. So what we can do, and we also saw in the pandemic, was that people became really comfortable with the idea of vital signs, where they could say, hey, here's my respiration rate. Here's my temperature. Here's my SAO2, my oxygen saturation. Suddenly became a vital sign everyone's talking about, right? And everyone knows. So Juliet and I were like, well, why don't we create vital signs around key movement behaviors and key environmental behaviors? So behaviors around kind of your physicality, nutrition, walking, things like that. Because if I say to you, is 120 over 80 good blood pressure? What do you say? Uh, yeah, that's what my doctor tells me, but I'm it's, not sure if I believe it or not. It's 120 over 80 is a line where everyone says, well, it's probably not great blood pressure, but it's not a problem blood pressure. If you're 120 over, you know, 130 over 90, all of a sudden you're like, hey, I see that you're above this kind of reference line of what we know is we need to pay attention. Athletes on the other side, man, their blood pressure is lower. But what that does is it means that, hey, this is something maybe I don't need to pay attention to as critically, or, hey, I'm doing fine. Or, wow, I didn't realize that was a problem. And now I need to do engage in a bunch of behaviors to try to bring my blood pressure down because we know that running high blood pressures for long periods of time into your, into your late adulthood is, isn't the best practice. So if we took that same concept 
and started applying to seemingly germane aspects of your life. Walking, for example. If we can give people a line in the sand around saying, hey, here's what we find to get the most benefit out of this really fundamental behavior. And a lot of the benefits of some of these things are hidden from you. And you don't realize how they interact with other aspects. They call it stacking, where suddenly we see that, for example, if you're having a hard time going to sleep, how much do we all struggle with sleep? Well, let me tell you an anecdote about one of the groups we work with, it's a little army group called Delta Force, and they're pretty amazing in all the resources they have. And the number one resource they reach for when their soldiers and warfighters are having a hard time falling asleep is they increase their step count. They realize that imp- increasing people's non-exercise activity levels through walking is the way for them to uh, achieve enough what's called sleep pressure, where they actually fall asleep and stay asleep. We know from the, all the research that somewhere between six and 8,000 steps, you really start to get the benefits of lower mortality, all of the things that sort of go along with improving circulation, loading your feet, getting sunshine in your face, seeing people in your neighborhood. Like there are all these soft skills built yeah. into going for a walk. Now we can say, okay, walking is good. Walking more may be better and beneficial for certain things. Where am I going to walk? And here's the magic. Where are we going to help people set up their day-to-day so that they automatically do the right thing and they can spend their credits on, am I going to eat ice cream or am I going to eat a cookie or do I want a glass of wine or do I want to watch a movie? I want you to nerd out on those things, not like, now here's one more thing I need to do to take care of my quote-unquote health. I love it. It's just, it's almost like you just flip the whole script on its head. And another thing that I love about this new package that you've put around built to move is these there's a sort of a demystification like Mm. the concept of walking for example the concept of sleeping you know each of these are you know in the 10 um functional i guess methodology that you've established here but there's a handful of others that were really surprising to me i guess not surprising tell me more i know you yeah but um like deep breathing that this it makes sense if you step back but if you walked into your doctor's office today and says hey doc i'm doing a bunch of deep breathing they're gonna say okay fine nice nice i'm not sure i buy it's not gonna hurt you because yeah then it's like but yet it's one of these core sort of functional keys these techniques that you guys are um espousing is actually vital to this longevity and to be to be taking the peak performance um mentality that you're seeing at these at these elite athlete levels and with the delta force and with the rangers and whatnot and it's accessible to us so why things like deep breathing um simply sitting on the floor squatting um yeah like why why some of these basics and what you know why how can we it seems so simple i look basic is sexy and what so you true. see is I think the concept of virtuosity is doing the common uncommonly well. And as we work through here, remember, we, we're invited in to help people tug out complex issues around high performance in tons of different environments. So we see sort of this experiment that we're running across these different platforms. Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, a couple of questions like what are the... We can overwhelm you with a hundred of these, yeah. but what are the 10 that we think are going to move the, the bar the furthest? Or we say, 
one of our uh, friends is this incredible, you know, hitting coach, uh, performance coach in baseball. He says, small hinges open big doors, swing big doors. So where are, and what we, was we really knuckled down on this. So this didn't become another 400 pound, you know, textbook that no one can relate to. And we overwhelm people is that Juliet and I also asked, what are the essentials for us? And as we work backwards, where are the big stumbling blocks around solving some of the big problems with an aging population? And which one of those things is still going to be a through narrative to elite performance so that we can see that, hey, if I get my kid doing this and I get this world-class Olympian doing this and I get my mom doing that, they're still doing the same thing. We're regressing and progressing, but those, those are some of our inclusion criteria. One of the things that we, has struck us over the last 15 years is that, 20 years particularly, but that there's this idea of that we, f- we fail to get, forget how things compound. And I think because of the way we've fetishized exercise, we all go to a one-hour class. And if I can't do a one-hour class, I'm like, I don't go. You know, so if I say to you, hey, we're going to go play soccer for an hour, we're going to lift weights for an hour and ride our bikes or play for an hour, or we're going to go do this breathing activity for an hour. You're like, "Mm, which one of those things is going to go out? The breathing activity is going to get crossed right off. So what we recognize, for example, around breathing was that there was a real opportunity to improve how people moved and experienced their world. There was no real opportunity to improve how they, the high level output of having more oxygen available during aerobic exercise or going up the stairs. There was a real opportunity to have people feel. So let's do an experiment here because a lot of times we see that people who are doing intense, hyper-focused, deep work end up having to sit or end up in postures and positions that are definitely not sustainable. All you need to do is hunch down in front of a camera for seven hours. And let me tell you about your neck. You're like, yeah, I can tell you all about it, right? (laughs) Uh, And so one of the things we can say, if you're sitting here and listening to this, wherever you are, don't move. In fact, go ahead and slouch down, let your back go, let your head tilt back, let your shoulders round forward. Just get into like the least, the position that costs the least amount of energy. And then in that position, take the biggest breath you can. And you'll see, we can objectively measure that. And what you're seeing is, wow, it's really difficult to take a big breath. And if I just say to you, and you and I have done this before, if I say to you, get into a position where you have better access to your mechanics. And you're like, I don't know, what does that mean? I'm like, better access to your physiology. Yeah, whatever. Get into a position where you take a bigger breath. All of a sudden, universally, everyone intuits that if they sit up, do the thing they need to do with their pelvis and their ribs and their shoulders, it looks a lot like Shavasana yoga. All of a sudden you're like, wow, I took more air in. So what we can do is stop saying these positions are bad, but we can start to say this position and this practice certainly does a lot to maintain the lights on in the house. It keeps your physiology, it gives you the most access to your body's position and power. So now that breathing turns out was a mobilization device for your back. It got your diaphragm working, got you stopped taking those neck breaths. It allowed you to ventilate more effectively and pressurize when you're picking up your kids, or you were able to find a better position on the Peloton bike, or while you were doing your deep work, you were able to find a position because your neck started to ache and you were like, oh, I wonder if I can breathe in that position. Not as effectively in this position. Great, a reset. And I think that's what we're really trying to do is show people that this technology of yourself is so extraordinary that if you tap into some of these really essential behaviors, 
and do it a little bit at a time. You microdose this stuff. Yeah. You're going to see that you don't have to go to a one hour balance class. You don't have to, right? You, we we want to winnow it in. And then if you also have exercise or also have the wherewithal to go to a yoga class or Pilates or whatever it is you like to do that allows you to express yourself in your environment, then that's going to be a bonus, but not the thing. So to me, this is genius. It's basically the concept of stacking, right? You, if you yes. align, you align a handful of things that it's, it's, this is the way I try and write my goals as behaviors. If I do these 10 things every day, there is no way that I can't feel better, mm. feel better about myself, think yeah. smarter. I'm a better husband, better wife, better friend, partner, or whatever. And, yes. You know, there's this, this, you look at what are the inputs that get this maximized output and this idea of stacking, for example, I'm just going to, you know, um, I've had a digital copy for some time now to, for the folks at home who have not yet got the book highly recommend, but I'm just going to re bust through like 10 of the, these 10, uh, vital signs sitting on the floor, deep breathing, hip and hamstring mobilization, walking at least 8,000 steps back and shoulder mobilization, simple diet spending several minutes in a squat, balance exercise, creating a movement-rich environment, and getting sleep. So the, the small, if you just think for a second, almost everything on that list can be a part of your day-to-day. -day. Balancing a movement-rich environment, getting enough sleep. I think the things that seem to me as exceptions to that are, say, hip and hamstring mobilizations, back and or shoulder mobilizations, but otherwise sitting on the floor, breathing, like they all are almost entirely encapsulated by what you could say as a normal, if normal was the way we want it to be and not the way it has become with the bad shoulders, bad posture, et cetera. So is that really, is that the foundation you guys sort of deconstructed? If we put 10 things together, what would give us the best chance for maximum health? Yeah. The think though, I think everyone would be like, yeah, that's well, maybe that one thing is surprising, but yeah, I intuit that. The difference is one is this book shows us and gives us a bright line around a score, an objective measure. So it's not mm -hmm. feel because let me tell you how I get into this. I'm talking to people who are injured. That's one of the things they've had surgery. I talk to them. I talk to people who are in pain a lot. And where I talk to people who are like, I can't do that again because it costs me a world championship and I'm never doing that again. So help me understand the things that I can improve so that that doesn't happen again. But that, and that's a real conversation. I can't lose again. My livelihood is on the line. And one of the things that we do when we give people those, those vital sign pieces and those objective measurements, it allows us to then understand the inputs and outputs of some of the rest of our behaviors. So let me give you an example. I think I'll give you two. One is people come and say, hey, I'm having this low back pain. And I'm like, okay, I can look at your range of motion and I can look at the things that are attached to your back, like your hips. And we can have this complex understanding, but also simultaneously, I'm like, tell me about your stress. How are you managing that? Tell me about your sleep. Oh, I sleep great. Great. How do you know that? Well, because I just told you I sleep great. So it turned out that when we were helping people manage really chronic and gnarly pain, when I made them track their sleep and actually show me the results, none of them were getting the amount of sleep. And guess what? When we started spinning that into our gym environment, we owned a gym for 17 years. 
And all of a sudden I would say, people are like, hey, I just don't feel like I'm losing my body. My body composition isn't changing. Great. Can I see how much you're sleeping? Oh, you're sleeping six hours a night. Actually, you're reporting sleeping six hours a night, but you're actually sleeping five hours a night because it's normal and typical for an adult to be up and awake for over an hour during their night sleep. So when we start giving people this bright line and saying seven hours of sleep is our line for survival, but all the miracle things start to happen at eight hours. So if you want to grow, learn a skill, change your body composition, lose weight, put on muscle, grow a body because I'm a teenager, right? Heal an injury. The magic really happens at above eight hours of sleep. I'm not talking about you who are super unique and that's seven hours and 40 minutes from you. I'm trying to help you understand that when we start to give people these objective measures, they can start making an informed choice. So for example, let me talk about my own sleep. I protect my sleep like it's my job. But one of the things I noticed was I experimented with this thing called intermittent fasting. People have heard of that before. So sure. you don't eat breakfast, maybe you only have black coffee. And what we found out, it was what we call calorie control for adults. You just didn't eat a meal and you were good to go. And you're like, look at all this calorie control. Well, the research has come out in the last year at, from UCSF that, yes, it worked really well, but also adults who engage with that lost a lot of lean muscle mass. They lost a lot of muscle, which is something we're trying to hold on to. Okay, so that's an aside. For me, what I noticed was if I engaged in, and played around with intermittent fasting, because again, you should not be able to eat for a few hours and be totally fine. One of the things that happens that jammed me into eating enough calories the rest of the day. So what ended up happening was what I like to exercise in early afternoon or afternoon. And I was often under fueled because I had missed this big window. And then guess what? I had this truncated window to try to eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables and hit my protein minimums. And that meant that I had to eat these huge meals, which I couldn't do. And then suddenly I needed an extra meal. So I ate that meal at 10 o'clock. And if I eat a big meal at 10 o'clock, guess who doesn't sleep great, <laughs> right? So suddenly you're like, oh, I can make a decision about my eating because now I have these benchmarks. Because what I saw was that when I engaged in that, that eating, my performance went down. But more importantly, I saw that my behavior around eating late at night to try to get another meal because I was starving at 236 pounds and 6'2", whatever, with big butt, I saw decreased sleep. And so I got to make different decisions. So now that decision was, hey, this gives me control over here to make sure I have a fruit and a protein before I leave the house. Mm -hmm. And that's where what seems to us is that these systems seem so disparate and disconnected. And yet no part of the body, no, no system of the body, no aspect of the body works alone. None of this works in isolation. They're all complex systems that get these feedback mechanisms from all of these other things. Makes so much sense. And I, and this is where I think one of the ways in which I love your wisdom is in very particular experiences. And so I'm going to share a couple of my experiences that are not dissimilar to what you shared, but I'm hoping you can sort of uh, judge me or help guide me rather and help me understand um, what's going on and how I might be able to do a little bit different. And I'm guessing that if we tried out a couple of these that the, the listeners at home, listeners and watchers at home are going to be able to identify and learn a little bit about how your brain works and how um, the uh, beautiful this, this book attacks these same problems. So 
I've shared with you in the past, um, high performance athlete, that's what part of my identity. And then of course we, we grow old and things that repaired themselves very quickly as a child, you know, don't anymore. The first thing I sort of started prioritizing based largely on our early conversations were sleep. I was a bad sleeper. I thought I was gifted genetically. Turns out I was just running my body into the ground. And eventually that came up to me. That caught up to me. I started sleeping um, through a, a variety of methods that you and I have discussed. The chili pad, the, you know, some drinking some special cocktails that Tim Ferriss would feed us before we'd go to bed. Um, a handful of different, you know, earplugs. And my life truly changed. So... I have the experience of listening to you and having my life changed. And this is 10 plus years ago. Now I want to come to you with a new problem. I have my body starting to just not work as well. And I will admit that there was a time just a couple months ago where I took some time off because I thought I was doing the right thing. Time off of lifting heavy. And I don't, you know, I'm not some crazy bodybuilder, but I lift heavy weights a few days a week. Um, you know, that's what we're told. We're, we tell everyone to lift, lift heavy weights a couple days a week. That's, okay. that's the correct. Awesome. Research. I took a break from that because I thought, oh, I'm going to take a break. It's going to be fine. And, uh, it was through the holidays. So there was this confounding of taking a break, eating less good, consuming more alcohol than normal, um, staying out late. Cause we were on vacation with a bunch of friends that we really love. And the combination of all these things made, I started getting my, my knee started hurting, my left knee. There has been no trauma to this knee. I did not like slip and fall. I did not tweak it, you know, golfing while I was, you know, hitting some monster drive. There was no acute injury. And yet, if I showed you my knee right now, it looks like a cantaloupe. What is happening? Use me as an example. I think I just tell, why is this happening? And how should I think about it? So, you know, there's some things that we could universally say, right? right? And one of those things was, hey, I don't remember having any trauma. Nothing changed. So somehow some things that you were doing as a reasonable human being, mm -hmm. all the things you said were very reasonable, yeah, suddenly changed how your brain is interpreting what was going on with your knee. And it I might have been that you played college soccer and were one of the best soccer players in America for a minute. And let's pretend if I took a picture of your knee, because you're like, I must have knee rabies. I'm in the pain spiral. I'm going to have a knee replacement tomorrow. You just call your friends up and you're like, sorry, I'd love to go for a walk, but I'm done. Put me out to pasture. That is literally how most people interpret these signals. Remember, pain is a request for change. Yeah. And so what we want to begin with the saying is, look, if I took a picture of your face, I don't remember who said this. I took a picture of your face like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and compared it to your skin today. And I was like, look at your de degenerative skin disease on your face. You'd be like, oh my God. You're right, bro. I look horrible. Instead, you're horrible. like, yeah, of course I have gray hair and I'm, I got some wrinkles and my face looks like that of a 50-year-old person. So let's imagine just the thought experiment, for example, that your tissues may also reflect some of that. They are, we're self-repairing, but we know that smoking and drinking and being super stressed and not eating a great diet full of micronutrients and fiber, all of those things will contribute to your skin looking trashy. And let's also say, well, you have skin on the inside. So we know that there are some behaviors in here that allow me to buffer normal changes in my body more effectively. And there'll be times where you, had to sit on a red eye where you had to 
you know, go through a dead deadline. God forbid you ever had a baby and they didn't let you sleep for a year or so, right? It doesn't matter what is you went on vacation. How dare you? And you had a cocktail on vacation. How dare you? You know, what we end up seeing then is somehow something has changed. And normally in our, in our lives, that would go back. I just have pain for a couple of weeks and it's fine. And I just kind of work through it and it goes away. Okay. So nothing has changed here. But if I, again, start an initiation where we play we, in physical therapy, we call it, or medicine, hunt the lesion. Well, I'm not sure what it is. Let me take a picture. And the picture tells me what it is, even though that's not the clinical reality or you know whatever. And if I took a picture of your knee and it was a big, beautiful, bright ball of light, then what? Right? You're like, there's nothing wrong. You're healed. I don't know. It's all in your head. So what we can then start to ask is, well, if I have swelling in the tissue, that's something I could work on. So let me give you an example of how we would manage swelling for someone. We have a set of very complex behaviors that we could use on our performance side. Mm -hmm. The number one way that we can manage congestion and swelling is movement. So in your body, you have this incredible system called the lymphatic system. So bear with me. Don't tune out, everyone. I know you got this into art and creativity. Or me. Yeah. That's right. And one of the things that happens is as a normal byproduct of being a human, you make waste. Everyone can relate to that. Sometimes that waste you pee out, some of it you poop out, but some of it just gets recirculated and dumped back into the system. And that's called your lymphatic system. So if you've ever flown on an airplane and had cankles, your ankles are swollen, that is your lymphatic system backing up in the body. And you're getting this edema, this swelling in the ankles simply because you did not contract your calves and feet. Your lymphatic system is bootstrapped and buried into, wait for it, your muscular system, which is shorthand for your movement system. So if you walk around and move a bunch, guess what happens? You start to decongest those tissues. You start to bring the groceries in and you take the garbage out. So we know that the knee is drained by the deep lymphatics. So if you're going to decongest or de-swell your knee, then I can now say, well, what are the tools available to me? Well, walking is free and walking doesn't seem to hurt. So let me see if I can really walk my steps up. Let me see if I could I get on an exercise bike. Well, I happen to have one or my friend has one and I just spun. And that's an easy way of getting very low load and lots of high repetition of squeezing. We could compress it, we could elevate it. But ultimately what we can start to say is, hey, this is the swelling is notice we haven't talked about diet, lifestyle, anything. I'm just saying first things first, we have this tissue that's congested. Let's do the things we need to do to decongest that tissue. The second thing we could do is start to say, well, is there some aspect of the system? Because we talk about this in the book. We have a little first aid kit. Is there some aspect of the system that is restricted or holding on or overly tonic or, or tight? And what we realize is that we have a whole bunch of tools we can teach people like contract, relax, or just self-massage that you can do on your own at home. And if your calves, I don't know if you know this, are directly connected to your knee, your hamstrings directly connected to your knee, your shin directly connected to your knee, and so are your quads. It's very strange. So even if you don't know anatomy, you can be like, yeah, my leg is connected to my leg bone via my leg. And you can be very clear about that. So suddenly we realize, hey, if I push on my quads and I find something that is uncomfortable, then I found an area that my body's recognizing as threat and I can use my breath. There's that breath again. I can use some isometrics, some contractions. I can use a roller on my stomach. 
very easy. I don't need to see a physical therapist yet because I'm still doing my thing. And all of a sudden we realize that, hey, my knee feels better. But we have to take the systems approach. And it's difficult so, for a physician, a physical therapist, a body worker to understand the whole thing. So I want, one of the things I tell, and I'll come back because there's a few more things I want to talk about here. Yeah. One of the things that I talk about with my teams is you can't outwork anyone anymore. This is like hustle and grind. I'm really like, you're out hustling the other entrepreneurs. Really? Is that really you think? Like you're going to outwork them, really? You're just not going to sleep for a year? Like everyone is working very, very hard. And at Elite Sport, do you tell me that your Olympic team was training more hard than the German national team? They were not training harder. You guys were training the same. It turns out that whoever's better able to adapt to that training load to this stress in their lives, whoever can manage that more effectively ends up handling that stress and making sort of better adaptation responses to that stress. So in sport right now, the real game is how do I get the players and athletes I'm working with to manage their stress? And remember, training is a stress. Yep. You know, fights with my wife is a stress. Running is a stress. Exercise is a stress. It's my body's ability to adapt to that to become stronger, that's really the game of recovery. That's nutrition. That's why we walk. That's why we sleep. So if you want to go to Pilates and have a crappy response to Pilates, don't sleep that night. And you'll see that you'll feel trash, more trash the next day. So it's difficult for us to have a real conversation with your knee if you're not owning your 50%, which means I'm eating micronutrients, I'm getting some essential proteins, and notice that I didn't say you have to, can't be a vegan. I just said, are you getting enough protein? There are plenty of great vegan proteins out there. You're vegetarian, cool. You're carnivore, cool. You're vegan, cool. You're Indian and you like eat a certain way, cool. It doesn't matter. But if you don't have these basics on, then it's going to be a lot more difficult for me to understand exactly what's going on with your knee. But we haven't talked about movement. yet, And what we've tried to do with some of the essentials here in the book is create vital signs around how you're moving in the environment. So now I can say, hey, I see that you don't have hip extension, which is one of our chapters, extend the hip. And if you don't have hip extension, somehow that may be related to why your knee became sensitized. And it was always there, but you were able to buffer it because you were sleeping, et cetera, et cetera. So when we take this systems approach, easy, step-by-step -step day, it's not complicated. We start to run that pattern. We start to see my knee starts to feel better. My body starts to feel better and I can actually work harder and show up more effectively for my family when I get home after a long day. So this, it's essentially the same thing that can repair us, this stacking, these fundamental, you know, the yes. vital signs that you've established around these 10 core, core movements, for example, we actually break down in the exact opposite. It's not necessarily, this is sort of where I was going with that question is I could not perceive if you asked me what happened i thought i was nothing resting. happened i thought i was resting and <laughs> i've been told hey you need to rest every once in a while because i lift a couple times a week i don't again i'm not trying to set any world records here but you know i'm deadlifting a few hundred pounds and i'm squatting and and i'm feeling good and then i stopped that because i'm resting but what i really did is i stacked like 10 things i stacked sleeping poorly eating poorly drinking more alcohol um, not exercising, not moving, not doing some hip, you know, flexion and extension. And it would come to find out that that's the 
position that I'm in right now. And I feel like my, my knee feels like I tore my MCL. Right. And, and you yet, didn't. And I did, you did not. So, you know, I think that imagine suddenly I've been smoking my whole life. And all of a sudden they're like, there's something wrong with your lung. And you're like, what? But I've been smoking my whole life and it hasn't been a problem. It's difficult for us as humans to conceive of the scale of our lives. That's yeah. why what's important is today. What was I able to control today? And where did I have agency today? So oftentimes we talk about this as physical practice. So if I look at your day, and I can do this conceptually from so many different angles, I can start to say, well, let's look at just the movement language you had today. Let me tell you what Julian and I did. We got up, got our kids off, jumped in the car, sat in two hours of rainy traffic, went to see a friend, work at a friend's gym and talk, jumped in another two hour car, came back here. Let me tell you what my body has done today. I have sat in 90 degree angles for many, 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 many hours. I haven't put my arms over my head. I, my butt, my knee hasn't come my, behind my butt like in a lunge. I haven't done a push up. I haven't taken a big breath. My movement language has been, it's like yeah. I've eaten white rice and a piece of broccoli and a chicken, like skinless chicken breast, no flavoring, no sauce, no interest. It's like, like if you ate that every single day, you'd die. Like you would die of rabbit starvation. Boredom. Yeah. Boredom. <laughs> so one of the things we can start to do is start to ask people, well, how can we improve your movement language during the day? What are, the, what are the things that my body should be able to do? And, and because our environments and our day-to-day -day tasks sometimes don't ask us to perform things, yep. we become less good at them, like putting your arms over your head. So we have a test in the book called the airport scanner test. And Love that. the first time I saw that was a guy named Mike Boyle, Coach Mike Boyle, who is just a G. He has just been, he's so old school. And someone said in a post, do you think adults should Olympic lift? And he said, well, watch how they put their arms overhead at the screening at TSA, and that will answer your question. And so to Olympic lift, to snatch a barbell overhead like they do in the Olympics, you just have to have this thing called full range of motion, not supernatural. But what he was saying is, man, you're going to try to take this adult into this, this position that requires full range of motion, but they had a hard time putting their arms up over their head. If you watch the TV show Andor, I love Star Wars. So you watch Andor and there's this thing where the prisoners have to interlace their hands behind their neck. Most of the actors can't actually do that. They can't interlace their hands. They, their hands are out kind of stuck to the side. They're jamming their necks forward. And Julie and I were like, holy crap. Look at all these actors who just don't have the range of motion to act. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the airport scan test is this idea that Man, what is it about yoga that we do so much downward dog? It's almost like the yogis were like, this is super important. We're going to do it a lot. And then you're like, why do the gymnasts walk on their hands? Why is it that kids who grew up with a pull-up bar or a tree in their backyard, why can they do pull-ups? And suddenly you start to see that there are these essential behaviors that get stuck into everyone's foundational movement language, whatever that is, kettlebells, Olympic lifting, gymnastics, yoga, Pilates. And all of a sudden you were like, there must be some truth or through narrative there, some key idea. It turns out putting your arms over your head is one of those things. See, this is part of the genius of you guys. Like the, these are, like, if you ask anyone, I go back to the thing I just said a few minutes ago. If you ask anyone, do you want to be able to move your body the way it's designed to move for 
as long as possible. Nobody says no. And yet, if you ask someone, are you willing to work out for four hours a day? A lot of people start to say, uh, or time out. Like what kind of, you know, who's got that? When? Yeah, exactly. When do I do that? And like, that's not realistic. I have a job and I have children and I have responsibilities. And, and so it seems so natural that we're, we're now looking and what you have, you and Juliet have discovered and packaged up so nicely for us is a way to do this through natural, your natural day to day. And what I need is because if you ask me, did you get some movement? I'm like, yeah, I got some movement. My aura ring tells me that, you know, I met my goal for the day, but <laughs> you know, that goal is, I don't even actually know what that goal is. It's a random goal. Um, it's you pick like, I want to be healthy and productive. I don't know what that means. And as, as you guys have assigned a very specific metric to some of this stuff. So is our is the answer to our health going forward is is it literally as simple as you've packaged in the book or is there are there some hidden sort of uh no you really have to hop on one leg and eat broccoli and it has to be steamed and you have to like is it really that simple i think it's simple enough for you to say like let's take on or something like this let's take on our nutrition for example Okay. okay right because you know this is a third rail for so many people. Nutrition has become identity politics. I'm a vegan. I'm a carnivore. Man, those people are going to rumble, right? Sharks versus the jets. Yeah. And what we can say is, man, all of the research supports that eating more fruits and vegetables makes healthier people. Well, why is that? Well, it turns out there's tons of micronutrients and all of the substances locked within. You're like, I don't eat vegetables. They're poisoning me. I'm like, okay, that's your belief. Let me introduce you to fruits. There's so many fruits over here, including peppers and cucumbers and berries. And like, you know, just like you're a tantrum, you're an adult. You don't like kale. You don't have to eat kale. But when we start to lay down for people, we want you to eat 800 grams of that because that's four apples. And when we started to get into the, the, really the bare bones of people who are talking about healing or adapting or not having, you know, tissue problems. We saw that they weren't getting enough micronutrients. I'm healthy. Really? What does that mean to you? It means I eat clean. What does that mean to you? Can I see what you ate today? Well, it turns out you didn't eat any fruits and vegetables today. You ate packaged foods and you had a few, you know, like what we see is that people who were vegetarians weren't actually eating vegetables. And so they're eating like processed soy burgers and things. Yeah. So when we start doing this, we saw that, oh, here's a trick to get people to eat more fiber and to make sure that they had all of the building blocks on board to then do what they need to do. So however you want to do that is up to you. You can then run that experiment for a while and say, well, hey, I, I realized that I'm not getting enough vitamins K. Great. Because I did a blood test or a, my, my own personal genetics are that I need to eat some more you know, vitamin B. Well, I can now make a choice about supplementing that or eating some more foods that bring that in. But that first principle of eating more fruits and vegetables every day, every day, that what you'll suddenly realize is, wow, I'm traveling in the airport and all I've had today was two hard-boiled eggs and coffee. And you're like, wow, I'm not crushing it from, did I play well? So I can't control that, but guess what? Tomorrow's coming around, right? And then suddenly you realize that what the Starrettes have done is given you really sneaky calorie control. Because if you eat your protein minimums and you eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables, we are expanding the shit out of what you have to eat every day. And you're going to be so stuffed and shocked at how much 
how filling it is to eat food, yeah. however you want to do that, that if you want to eat a cookie, we're like, that's not a problem. Go ahead and knock yourself out. But what's going to happen is eat a pound of cherries, 230 calories. Get a cookie from Starbucks, 350 calories. A pound of cherries. A pound of cherries is 230 calories. I think Come you're going to be sitting on the toilet if you eat a pound of cherries. <laughs> I hope so. Run that experiment for me. No. Yeah, no. But the, the, I mean, I, I will also, this is where I confess, through conversations with you, when I, I basically quadrupled the amount of vegetables that I was eating, I, I did nothing for 50 days when I turned 50 of eating. I didn't eat a processed food. Nothing that combined two things in one device did I eat. And I never felt better. Isn't that weird? But I'm telling you, it, it was it, you. It is, what our I kids call it, it, you ate ingredients. They're like, you only have ingredients in the fridge, mom. We're like, what? Like, you know, what are you talking about? There's all this food in the fridge. It's just ingredients. <laughs> There's no soup dumplings. Yeah, but uh, it was. I was shocked at two things. One, that it was a lot of food that I was. It's so much. I food. was consuming a ton yeah. of like roasted vegetables, tons of roasted vegetables, like a plate full of them. And you know, big whole chunks of protein, which is that my body, it turned out absolutely loved that style of diet. Nothing processed, tons of food, and I a never felt better, was incredibly lean. And this is just after 50 days. I just ran an experiment. I did this for 50 days. So is there Love Love yeah that. and when you guys talk about 800 grams of protein or 800 grams of fruits and vegetables, I don't know how much I was. A banana is a hundred grams, right? Yeah. A melon like is a half a kilo. It's a pound. Wow. So suddenly you, what you've just done, if you ate four big apples, that's about 800 grams, but okay. you know, we can suddenly say, well, Hey, eat the rainbow. What's in season. Yeah. One of the things that we struggle with in our families, we have two teenage daughters. I have one daughter who I can't is, believe that by the way, I saw a picture I know. and I was like, no, Georgia is, like, Georgia is turning 18 next month. This is crazy. It's bananas. I was talking to Gerard about it. We couldn't believe it. He said, yeah, Georgia's 18. I'm like, no way. No way. We're not, we're not talking about the same person. Because no, I'm the same age. And, exactly. Uh, so Georgia is, is such an eater, loves to cook. She's, she has a subscription cookie business. I mean, this kid is squared away. She's a cruise missile. Then I have this other kid who's 5'10". She's 14. Her wingspan's six feet tall. I mean, she has huge hands. She's a water polo goalie. Caroline would subsist solely on brown food if it was up to her. So I have this one child that will be like, eat the rainbow. It's so great. Look, I'll try that anything. Oh, that's weird. That's a weird food. I'll try that. Caroline's like, nope, not going to do it. And so what I have to do is take all of these principles that we're talking about, and I have to say, it's good for the goose. It's good for the gander. So where and how? So let me tell you how I solve this with Caroline in the morning. One is she gets an emergency. I make sure she's drinking some kind of vitamin. I give her a chewy Nordic berry vitamin because I just like, it's all about micronutrients. However, like vitamins and minerals, they're supplementing, they're supplements. But in this situation, I have a kid who's picky, but I make her a fruit smoothie every day, handful of berries, spoonful of yogurt, blend it up. And I, at least she drinks some of that. At dinner, we once again have control. And I want to talk about dinner for a second is that we do something that Margaret on our staff taught us from her mother, who was Japanese. You cook three vegetables every night. You always have three vegetables. The three Ooh. vegetable rule. 
Your kid may only eat one bite of one vegetable. You still won the game, but you gave them a choice of three. So no matter what we cook, we, last night we had a huge rager. We had a whole like table full of teenagers, just madness. There's like seven vegetables on the table. And, and again, thinking about, hey, how do I expose and have variety? And one of the things that we want, I think is important to talk about is one of the reasons we feel strongly about food is that all high-performance teams who are really, really good eat together at least once a week. So if you have a small group of people in your office, your little creative office, I highly suggest that you have lunch together one time a week if you can. Do your best. So we have a lot of remote office like so many people, but one day a week people come and we eat lunch together. The high-performance teams, they'll eat two or three meals together. Like mm -hmm. go to Premier Soccer. I've been there. I've been, had dinner at Arsenal. The amount of food times together that these elite groups have is astounding. And for us, but what's one the of the things specifically, that, is it why? Okay, well, because eating together is what makes us a human, right? Uh, and suddenly you and I are talking and it creates opportunity for connection and we share and I get to bring all my cultural habits and I'm not alone and I feel connected. And one of the things that happens, I think, with nutrition, particularly for like intermittent fasting, one of the reasons it didn't work for Juliet, for example, was that we, we suddenly might not be able to have dinner with our kids because it exceeded our eating window. And for us, that was a no, no go, right? Yeah. So we need to make sure that we appreciate that there are fundamental aspects of being a human that are what we call soft skills or ancillary benefits and, and communion and being connected and feeling safe and feeling seen is as important as your fucking hip extension. Part of my language. But oh, I love it. Bring I, it. I, remember that your brain is only a brain if it's around other brains. Like that is your brain is a social organ. And what we saw was real depression and social isolation. And one of the reasons happened is that we pulled people out of their communities and we said, you can't be in your community. And we left people to rot. That's not good or bad. That was our best choices in those decisions, but we want to put back in, Hey, here's an easy way where you can reconnect with the people you work with and the people in your family. And it turns out it's, it's eating fruits and vegetables and protein. Well, it, like the concept of us convening is not new. We are social animals. We have been for a long time. And to me, that's sort of where I wanted to go with this next question. There's a lot of these things, you know, it's built to move. There's a lot of these are very functional. You mm -hmm. talked about hip, hip, you know, mobility as an example. Um, but I see these sort of uh, concepts like deep breathing and like sleeping entering the physicality discussion as yes. you have. And is it true that we're on the cusp of, of also introducing these things? Is, is this, this is convening. And I hadn't seen this and stuff before from you guys had been very much about exercise and physiology and whatnot, but is this where we're going? Is this what makes a well-rounded human? And you are seeing this at the highest performing levels. And now you're reminding us that, hey, part of being healthy is convening with others. Is this where this is going? Well, you know, I get, again, there's a local university, California, Berkeley. I get to spend a lot of time with our teams. And I am watching one of those sports documentaries. These extraordinary women playing water polo. I am like the strange human performance advisor. I work with the coaches. I get to work with the rehab staff. I get to 
interact with athletes and I get to sit on the bench and watch what the result is. And the result is watching 24 women come together in an extraordinary way and try to achieve something. And I literally, every single day, I'm like, this is a sports documentary only for me. And what we can then ask is underneath that, that elite performance or, or high performance, or you showing up for your family or your friends at the end of a week where you feel beaten down, how do we set you up for that success? And I think if my critique of becoming a supple leopard, that you know, book that's 10 years old now, is that it was, it didn't tell you what to do day to day. It didn't give you the game plan. Has nutrition always been important? Yeah, we're athletes. We always feel, we always talk about it. Sleep, belonging to the team, team dynamics, all those things. But I think when we wrote that thing back in our 30s, I think I was a little bit more obsessed with two times body weight deadlift, range of motion, optimization, performance. And I couldn't necessarily appreciate that I was going to be 50 in that moment. And so suddenly now I'm, I'm confronted with my aging parents, a society that hasn't been well served by fitness and medicine, right? It just hasn't. Like we have some extraordinary things that are keeping us alive. But right now, what's the biggest topic of, of conversation on the New York Times around diet and health? Yeah. Ozempic. Right? People are taking like their diarrhea. They're taking, they're getting sick, but they, they don't feel hungry and they boost their insulin and they're losing weight. And they're also losing what? Muscle mass. Like that's the big ding. And you maybe have to be on this drug your whole life. Like that's the solution to this thing. Like a crazy injectable drug that is a first order result, resort for a lot of people who need help initially to come back. But what we're seeing is, man, we've just added another layer of complexity to that thing. So I should just, so the question is, what age should I start my teenagers on Ozempic? Is that really the right combo? What age is appropriate to put this baby on Ozempic? I mean, when we start taking these basic conversations to their fullest conclusions, yeah. it's not really very sustainable. What I'll say is, in this time since we've, like, we're with you with becoming a supple leopard. Sure. Juliet has had breast cancer. She's had a hip replaced. I have had my knee replaced from a tragic, crushing ski accident. We have gone, we've had family deaths. We've had business. What we've realized is that the things that we have been doing day-to-day -day around performance also gave us some residual capacity to buffer the hits that are coming. And they're coming for each of us. Every one of us is going to bury our parents. Every one of us is going to change jobs. Every one of us might get injured. Those things are pretty unequivocal. And what we're trying to do, you know, when, when Juliet came back, she had breast cancer, stage one breast cancer. And, you know, she was able to quickly put her arms over her head and get back to her life. And she didn't have lymphedema and all. She sidestepped a lot of gnarly issues. People are like, how did you do that? She's like, well, I've been preparing for this surgery yeah. forever, you know, because my day-to-day -day life is the same thing that we would recommend, including, do I have close relationships? Do I feel safe in my community? Well, what does that mean? Well, look, we have a neighbor who we're not really friends with. We had a fence dispute a few years ago. Can you imagine that? And they decided they didn't like us and they go out of their way to just be gnarly. But I get to see him every day as we're walking around the neighborhood. And if you want to have a civil society, go ahead and start walking your neighborhood. And you're going to have to see people you hate and be like, what's up? I still hate you, but what's up? You know? And what I think is the real power is this concept of hyperlocality. If we are waiting for the U.S. government 
to institute a series of top-down approaches to improve our health, I think we can keep waiting. What about the state? How's the state doing at that? So what we say is, okay, maybe that's not the best use of those institutions. I'm not bagging on the state of California. I'm just saying that's not the best use of the institutionalism that is the state of California. I like having power and things like that, right? But on this other side, we can start ask who owns the problem? And what we saw was that we hadn't really empowered people to own the whole or see the whole thing and understand the aspects of their own behaviors that they could own day to day. That means that the household, your roommates, your family, your garage is the functional unit of measurement. And you can become the hub of change by saying, hey, why don't we go for a walk after dinner tonight? It's that simple. And do that for 10 years. One of my friends, last thing I'll stop rambling, my friend's Matt Vincent is a world Highland Games athlete and someone, he's a world champion in Highland Games. And someone's like, well, how do you get really strong? And he's like, well, why don't you just pick up something or squat heavy once a week for 10 years and tell me what you discover. The glacial pace is the breakneck pace. Why is it slow and smooth and smooth as fast? Oh man, <laughs> it's all there for us. But you know, it is, it, you know, one of the things that you brought up um, is sitting on the ground. So here's something I want everyone to do tonight. Research tells us that we all love Netflix. <laughs> like I love watching The Mandalorian. I'm super down. Like we're into it. We're into TV. And it turns out that a lot of people are spending one to three hours in front of the TV in the evening. It's how they cope. It's how they hang out with their families. No judgment. But during one half episode, I just want you to sit on the floor during that time. And what you'll discover is, wow, I'm really uncomfortable here. That I have to fidget a lot, and then I have to long sit, and then I kneel, and then I side saddle, and then I go 90-90 with legs out. Then I do a middle split. And if you want to change your hip range of motion, sit on the floor. And what you'll see is you're like, oh, there's my roller. I haven't seen that for a while. And you're like, well, I'm already on the floor, so I may as well do this thing. And you roll around on what ails you for 10 minutes, and then you turned out you fell asleep faster because you did a little soft tissue work, and your hips felt better the next day, and your little back felt better because... You use your hips, you put them into these positions. And all you had to do tonight was sit on the floor for 10 or 20 minutes. That's how we're going to get out of this hellhole. I'll tell you folks out there who are listening that as a part of that 50 days of eating only processed or only unprocessed foods, I also did uh, a series of movements that had no equipment. And this is another thing I love about Built to Move is to be able to do these tests and these movements that do not require a gym. No. Now it's it's true. I have access to lifting to heavy things, but in this fifty day window, I did not. I did push ups, sit ups. I did pull ups, but on things that I I didn't have any formal pull up bars in my life. So I did pull ups on random things, and I would do as many as my little fingers could muster. Uh, and usually it was trying to do work in 50 a day somewhere. So when I would see something that I could hang from and do wow. 10, I would do 10. And I did that five times throughout the day. So I get 50 pulls a day. I was absolutely shocked at the change in my mentality to see, ten, yes. uh, you know, 50 or hundred pushups as nothing. This took me under three minutes to do this exercise. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's, it was incredible. And again, so you're right. You're, you're all you did was say, Hey, if I change my perspective, if I yeah. change that depth of field just a little bit, I pick up a little bit more and I start to see how I'm interacting a little bit differently. And that is everything in the long haul. I mean, we say, we've been saying this for a while. We're like, hey, why don't you be consistent before you're heroic? 
So just show me. And what you just demonstrated there, I think, is something I was trying to get to and lost the, the narrative of is we have sold everything. Fitness has to happen in one hour blocks. But one of the things that we realize, especially if you're a busy working person, is that any input is net positive input. Let me tell you about my elite training. So remember, I have every access to all the tools, techniques, everything. When I had two babies and we were starting this whole thing and writing the book, I would do, this is a decade ago, I'd do the 10, 10, 10 at 10, which was 10 pull-ups, 10 push-ups, 10 squats for 10 minutes at 10 p.m. That's all I could do. And I just moved my body for 10 minutes. And I was like, well, hope that's enough. Maybe I, you know, maybe I'll feel less gross. But when I had more time, I opened up. When I had less time, I just focused on these aspects. And when you start to realize, as you're saying, they compound yeah. these net little pieces, really start to aggregate. And what you'll see is anything you track will start to be better. And one of the things that we can, we can call it rewilding, giving your body back the input it needs. We called it kind of base camp. We saw a lot of people, especially in fitness on the internet, it, which is a wild west of a place. Right. You know, we're arguing about like which crampon color is the best way to summit Everest. And we're like, hang on, before we talk about, you know, that, maybe you should notice that not everyone is at base camp yet. <laughs> Like, let's get everyone to base camp and then we can have the rational conversation about your Kung Fu style versus my Kung Fu style or my eating discipline versus yours. You'll see that these first principles underneath them all laid out in your day-to-day life will improve your life, whatever that is for you. Because ultimately, when we defined mobility a long time ago, I was like, you need to have your native range of motion and control over that range of motion. And now we're like, that's all good. But what is it you want to do in the world and how can you do it more effectively? That is, it really does come down to that. And I, when I, you know, deconstruct the times and places in my life where I've been the most fit, the most happy, the most healthy, and I would say most pain-free, as you said, pain is a signal that you need to change. It, it's in these moments and it's not really a surprise, but what is a surprise, especially for me looking backwards relative to where I'm standing right now, which is in a pretty troubled spot. It was so simple it took 10 minutes maybe 15 minutes per day if you threw a little walking in there as a like some cardio or whatever getting the heart moving um and to be able to move through my day pain-free and i i just didn't eat processed shit it's that simple Those well, how, how about if you want if you love processed shit and that's your jam Eesh, do yeah. this too and then what you'll see is there's less room for processed shit. And yeah. the processed shit isn't making up the bulk of your nutrients. I think that's, that's really then, – then what you can see is that it's not – we're not asking you to put down the Cheetos. I'm just asking you these things first. Cover your basis. Right. Then if Cheetos are what's making you work, I guarantee you, you just won't eat less Cheetos. Yeah. We know that because we work with people. We've been working with people for 20 years. Humans, right? Humans, right? And, you know, I think one of the things that we, because we live in a community of artists and people who are creatives and lawyers and, you know, and chefs, not everyone identifies as an athlete or even yeah. athletic or wants to identify. That's yeah. not my identity. But these things end up being very universal across all of the different and various peoples. It doesn't matter who you are, what your sex is, what your age is. It doesn't matter if you're menopause or not. These things apply to you. And I think 
when we start to ask those fundamental conversations or fundamental questions about what is it that we came out of over two and a half million years, we know that if you struggle to get up and down off the ground without using your hands, all-cause mortality goes up, all-cause morbidity goes up, which says that, hey, it's not that you have, you're not strong enough to do it or you don't lack your range of motion. Yeah, that's a problem. But what it says is, man, you're not as effective moving in your environment. And that has those downstream causes. If we start to look at steps, you, you can have like such a decrease in your likelihood of getting sick just by walking a little bit more. Those things, we just yeah. need to, we need to constrain the environment so that you have to do the right thing without, without having to summon the willpower to have abs and like, you know, start a business. Yeah. I mean, use that willpower for the things you care about. I love that use of the, the energy. Like, what are you going to do with your, what'd you call them? Will packets or will cycles? <laughs> will credits. I don't know. Will credits. Yeah. Something like that. Like, what are you going to spend your time on? And this is why I look for default modes and I try and create habits. Oh, default. Around. Yes. Yeah. Like what's your sort of default mode to be in, in the morning? I like to move my body, like blah, 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 blah. So now I'm going to, I'm going to pretend and I'm, this is, I'm trying to be in service to the community here. The community is asked like, Oh, Hey, what's going on with, we don't want to just know about, uh, Kelly in his new book, but again, I'm going to plug it right here. Built to move the 10 essential habits to help you move freely and live fully. One of the reasons I love you and Juliet and your work is because you identify around habits and you give me very, very basic things that I can do in order to be my best self. I'm going to tell you, uh, there's a couple of things I'm going to like fast pitch you that are going on with me right now. And we're going to let the world listen in on yep. little whingy. So I'm, let's just pretend we're in a safe space here. And we don't have 100,000 people listening to us. And I'm going to say, okay, man, I talked to you a couple of weeks ago. My knee is, to be fair, I am using it probably, um, you know, I know you like mobility. I'm using it in very strange ways, uh, like golfing, for example. And I've been, we're, we're um, building out a new studio space here. So I'm up and down the ladders and doing some different things. And it's, it's being used in a very strange way. And I'm not doing a great job at any one thing. I'm doing like 25% of what you told me on everything. So I'm wrapping and doing the flossing stuff a couple times a day, but not 40. And I'm heating my knee up and moving it in the hot tub definitely twice a day. Um, I'm like, what's, what's my prescription to get my knee back? And it feels like I blew my MCL out. Should I get platelets? Should I get cortisol? Should I cortisone? Should <laughs> no, I get no. you know, stem cells? Well, what, what the fuck am I doing? What we, again, the idea here thinking is what can I control? Yep. And what am I willing? So if we're not, one is absolutely okay. You're not making yourself worse. If you do okay. something and it's worse the next day, this is for everyone. That yep. was a good indicator that you did too much or can we modify that while you're healing or recovering? Okay. But if, knee pain stays the same or my ache or whatever, however you describe it, my discomfort stays the same. Okay. Keep, keep moving it and loading it. There's very few things that we say to people rest. That's very few. Well, I want you to not rip out your sutures that we had after the surgery. There's very few things. So activities of daily living, 100%, keep walking. So we could say, are you, are you getting your steps in? Check. We can yep. control that. Yep. Sleep. We know you're good at nutrition. We know you're good at. Yep. Now we can start to say, well, Am I somehow behind the curve on this swelling? So for, sure. for me, the first order business is as long as I'm sort of swollen. Yep. And the reason we take swelling seriously is ultimately over time, it's not a healthy environment for the joint. 
and it can sensitize your pain. So a swollen tissue oftentimes can tell us and signal to your brain, pay attention to this, right? It just sure. with the stretch response tells you. So if we can get ahead of that swelling, so maybe there's some times where you could wear a compression sleeve. Yep. We could floss. We could add in something like a Mark Pro and get this NMES device where we're decongesting. It's just creating a non-fatiguing electrical muscle contraction. Yep. And you can just pump all night long, right? We could elevate, but it may be we need to spend a little more time doing that first. Because what I would say is if you show up and I'm like, oh, your knee's swollen, that's the first order of business. That's the thing I need to do. Got what it. we want everyone to understand is, hey, do I have night sweats, dizziness, fever, vomiting, nausea? Do I think I have gonorrhea of my knee? Do I have rabies? <laughs> right? Do I have infectious arthritis? Is there something yeah. going on that I should go talk to the doc about? Right. Great. I trust you. Go talk to the doc. Hey, do you, gonorrhea, do you think this is gonorrhea of my knee? And I'm kidding around folks, but gonorrhea of the knee actually can happen. You can, gonorrhea can absolutely cause your knee to swell. I'm not saying that that's happening here, but one of the, we think it's the most ridiculous thing to say that people are like, okay, cool. The second thing is, do we have a clear mechanism of injury? Hey, I stepped down and heard a snap or a pop. No. no. Okay. So what we see is that, Hey, I have two things going on here. One is I don't have some clear disease state that I think of, I'm aware of. And I don't have an injury state that I'm aware of, right? And we, we handle fevers all the time. We watch fever. Fever's above 104. We're like, go to the hospital, right? If not, yep. we be with Tylenol. So now we can start to say, well, the things that I'm doing aren't enough to manage the swelling based on the loading. Let me give you an example. We had to close our gym in the pandemic. So in October, after battling, I had a bad ski crash going very fast. I put my femur into my tibia and I had two bad lesions in the knees, big holes in the articular cartilage that I managed for seven years really well. Didn't have any pain. And then all of a sudden I was like, my only option was knee replacement. So I had my knee replaced. So stoked. It doesn't hurt. I can do whatever I want. Hama, that was on October 20th. On November 4th, I closed the gym. And we closed one of our businesses and I had to walk around on my knee replacement to move, take things apart. That's not the best. And my knee looked like hamburger <laughs> the day yeah. because I just exceeded my tissue tolerance. And guess what? I wasn't doing any damage. I knew that. But I meant I really had to pay attention and get ahead of the swelling. So when we help people be able to sort of sort through this, then we can start to say, well, it sounds like there's a bell that's ringing and that inflammation and swelling is keeping it ringing. Let's manage that first. And yeah. then we can have a conversation about, well, is there some tissue that's stiff or I'm not managing. And if I take a crack at it for a few weeks and not making progress, then I'm going to go get a help. But now I come to my physician. I come to my physical therapist and I'm saying, my sleep's on point. I'm getting this much grams of protein and, and things. Here's how I'm trying to work on decongesting it. Here's my range of motion. What do you think it is? And now we can actually utilize our medical services much more effectively because we're owning our 50%. Yeah, we've taken the other things off the table. We can, that's it. Those are not factors anymore. Therefore, it's probably, you know, it, there's a, a limited number of end things that it, it could. That's be. right. That's right. And it may just have been that you have this tissue that was sensitive right. because you played soccer at a really high level. And by the way, in the 80s and 90s, we did not take care of our bodies at all. You would roll like from the game to whatever you did. Like we just didn't even know. And so, what I would say is, oh, you became sensitive to whatever. Mm -hmm. You stopped moving, got stiff, and then had all these things, stressors. 
That's why your knee swollen. We'll, we can just keep running this program and eventually your body will manage it. Or we can say, hey, how do we get ahead of the swelling so that we can kind of reset the clock to zero? Great. And again, this is coming. I'm trying to pitch Kelly a couple of these things. As a person who has, I identify as healthy and I'm in a position right now where I don't know what happened. And th- th- I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting that there are people out there who are in the same frustration. Oh, we're managing. Low back hurts, shoulder hurts. Exactly. I don't know. There, why there why is it people, hurt? There are people right now who are listening like, yeah, my back hurts. I'm not particularly out of shape. I'm not, you know, I don't like, I didn't hurt my back. And yet here I am. And then if you, again, I'm, I'm living the built to move protocol right now. I'm doing all of these things. I'm sitting on the floor. I'm breathing for at least three minutes. Very, very concerted every day. I'm getting enough sleep. I'm about, and this is, uh, now I'm saying, okay, cool. What are these exercises above and beyond? And I'm That's finding right. out that the congestion in the knee is one thing. I'm going to give you another one. I throw at you. This is, this is how, what, how beat up Chase Jarvis is right now. Planner's fasciitis. I'm watching a video of Kelly Sturette from 12 years ago, sitting in a hotel room and it's, I'm doing these things and it's helping. Is it just doing more of those things that will get me to where I need to be? I am feeling improvement on the planners, but, uh, I, so what, I don't know. If is it on the same side as the knee? It is mm, strange. I don't know if those are connected, but let me tell you how this happened. <laughs> One of these things I had knee pain that was going on, as I mentioned, after the holidays, then I played pickleball for four hours at a pretty high level. And can, can you understand what I'm working with people? These are my friends. Hey, you know, I just played pickleball for four hours and my body hurts. And by the way, I'm not 19 anymore. What's, what is it doc? So, so this is, this is me and this is all my friends and this is all of us. And what we're trying to do is create a readiness to be able to handle these insane things. Yep. As my, as a coach, I'd be like, Hey, why don't we play a half hour pickleball? Then let's no, t- tomorrow we'll play 45 minutes of pickleball, but that's not how we do it. And I'd be like, Oh, we're going all in four hours pickleball marathon. Fine. Hope I hope I survive. So one of the things we can start to ask then is we start to see that potentially, Hey, what's going on here? Do I, am I working with all of my native range of motion? And it's that same side. So it tells me maybe those things are somehow connected. So for example, I might inquire, are your shins stiff? Do you have access to your range of motion in your ankles? I know you have pretty native, great range of motion, or you don't. I have great range of motion, but it's because of a lot of injuries in my ankles. And so now they are, uh, I, I. This is click and clack, everyone. This is stump the chump. What's what we're playing right now, if you're just tuning in. So check this out. What I would suggest is, you know, what I see is a, Dearth, that, that was like the Tappet Brothers, right? Where they, yeah, my yeah. car makes this noise. Um, what I would say is, I would suspect that we have some tissue limitations. And then okay. you are, because I know, again, I know a little bit about you as a friend and as an athlete. But if I asked you to get into the couch stretch, how would that go? If I asked you to look at some basic range of motion things, we'll follow up after this. Things that we actually have in the book is basic understanding, some fundamental practices. So what we've done in the book, everyone, just tie this back so you can relate, is that we've said, here are fundamental shapes that your body needs to get in so you can move in the world the way you want to, right? You may not think of it, but like, you're like, I don't need to lunge. I don't lunge. Well, that's walking is your knee comes behind your butt. That's lunging. And 
what we said is if you have a hard time accessing this position, here are a couple mobilizations, some tools to restore those positions. So now one of the things that I'm curious about is, are there key positions in your body and our other business, the ready state in there, we have a mobility test where you suddenly are more interested in yourself and you can self-assess deep nerd out all of these aspects of your range of motion and components. And then we can say, Hey, look, and this is what's so crucial about this conversation. When someone has pain, rarely do they ever connect it to their ability to have full range of motion. So if your car steering wheel didn't turn all the way to the left and you always got into a crash every time you couldn't turn left, we would say, well, hey, the steering wheel doesn't turn all the way to the left. Let's go ahead and see if we can improve that. And turns out you didn't need to turn left for a month or two. And then one day you did and you had it. So what we're trying to do here is give people back their native access to the range of motion, the range of motion that every physician says you should have, every orthopedic surgeon says you should have, every physical therapist. But one of the things you can do to control how your body feels is just keep an eye on how, remember, your knee hurts, but not out, in, out of context. It hurts when you go up and down stairs, which tells us about flexion and extension of the hip or the leg. It hurts when my, I'm in a lunge. Okay, that tells me something about the tissues. And when I restore the position, the system works better. And that's really what we've snuck in here is a lot of these isometrics, a lot of sneaky ways to get you to start to reclaim some of your native ranges. This is a very sophisticated experiment because right now we are going to release this podcast in two and a half weeks when your book drops. So I'm committed to doing living off of oh built, to, built to Move like it's my only reason for being for the next two and a half weeks. And then when I record the intro to this show, I'm going to report my findings. Demons out. Well, good. You know, I think that what we want everyone to know is that everything in this book is predicated and founded on research and clinical experience together. And that this isn't my feelings. One of our, one of our friends in the nutrition space says, data, my data is bigger than your feelings, right? My data is yeah. greater than your feelings. But what we always are in is test and retest and then share. Because if you can figure something out about your body, I guarantee you one of your friends will have this problem and you'll be like, oh, let me show you what worked for me. That's how we're really going to change this is that we're going to, you're going to discover something. You're going to become that, that power node. And to your point, the, the, the pain, if your knee didn't hurt, but it was swollen, would you think that was a problem? I think swelling is a problem because I look at it and it doesn't look like my other one. So okay. Something. So notice that you might have even had swelling in that knee for a while, but <laughs> it didn't hurt. And then your brain was like, all right, all I right, Chase. bring the next tier. All right, let's do it. Let's bring the pain. <laughs> so, you know, what's interesting is that if I took away your pain all of a sudden, what would, how would you be limited? What wouldn't you be able to do? Because I can take away your pain with THC and bourbon and, and Vicodin. I can make you feel nothing. And that's what we've told people to do, right? We haven't given people a set of tools to care for themselves. In fact, what we told people is that pain is a medical problem. Can you imagine that? So I'm in this room full of 30 Division I superstar athletes and 100 teenagers there for the camp. I'm like, how many of you have no pain? Zero hands go up. Zero hands go up. 
the four-time Olympic gold medalist, her hands don't go up. Everyone's hands are down because everyone has pain. So if I say to you, pain is a medical problem, are 100% of those people at a high-level camp under the care of a physician being monitored at their camp? No, no. So what we've done is people just told this service. And what we, yeah. we said was like, oh, pain is a medical problem. You're not a medical specialist. So how dare you? And you were like, well, I can't be in pain. So what do I have? Ibuprofen, THC, Adderall, Ambien, whatever it is to take the edge off, red wine, I'm going to do that. And I think we can expand our repertoire a little bit. So let's, let's run this as a test and a retest, and we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm so, so grateful that you and Juliet, you guys, these are two absolutely amazing human beings. And I will tell you, I've pointed in the physicality, like move your body. How do you stay healthy? Oh, you have a pain. Go search Kelly Sturette and the thing that you're feeling. And I have, this is not an exaggeration, zero experiences with people not coming back to me saying, holy shit, it's better. This is, you may this actually is, have gonorrhea of your knees someday, people. This, but this is, this is fact. This is how good Kelly and Juliet are at this stuff. And again, I don't know. You're obviously a very gifted communicator. Um, and you've seen so many things. You've mentioned a few things, you know, today in passing of working with, you know, Olympians and, you know, Premier League football clubs and, but, like as a, as a person who appreciates practitioners who actually know what the fuck they're talking about and can steer you in the right direction, especially when it's against what I would say is common knowledge or what you were told 10 years ago, I cannot recommend more highly built to move their new book and anything that they do. You subscribing to the ready state, um, YouTube channel is this is sort of like requirement for anyone who listened to the show today. You absolutely have to go do that. Um, for those of us who are, we're already hooked. We've, you know, we've bought the book. I'm running a two and a half week experiment. I'm going to do every single thing in built to move. And I'm going to report back when I record the intro right before releasing the show, how I felt now having listened, let people listen to my whinging and my trying to wedge, wedge my own personal discomforts into this story so we can, I can get something and, people can learn from um, by extrapolation. Is there anything else that we can do to support you and Juliet and the movement that you all have created? Mm. Well, I would remind people that if you're curious about taking the next step, we're trying to make it as simple as possible. We know you're an expert in so many other areas of your life and that what you want to do is be able to turn and say, okay, I can get, I get the T and I don't have to sort through. We, our app, I'm very proud of. Our, so if you go to the Ready State on the, on the Apple Store, we've got a simple mobility test, self-assessment. Red, yellow, green, how am I moving? But more importantly there, I do a daily mobility, 10, 20, or 30-minute follow-on piece. You don't need to know anything. If you have a ball and a roller, you have a tennis ball or a lacrosse ball, a cricket ball, baseball, and a foam tube, a wine bottle, three LaCroix cans taped together. You can get started and I'm going to show you how you can feel better in your body in your living room for 10 minutes. Again, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. But what we see is no one has been given this. We didn't know. We, yeah. you know, I paddled myself right off the national team 
with a terrible neck injury that was 100% preventable and ended my professional career paddling on the national team. And I want to prevent that because if I had just been given the right tools at the right time, I would have been able to easily smash all of those problems. And instead, I just tried to outwork everyone. And if we can prevent that, if I can get you to start to feel a little bit better in your own home, that's all it takes. Your body is extraordinary. The idea that our body is built to move, not to just borrow the title of the book here, is it's not a surprise when you think about it, you zoom out. Like that's like that is the that is a gift, you know, that if we are able to do that and um, you know, this is again, I identify as an athlete, and whether you do or not in this particular case, there's this natural tendency toward health rather than what we've been taught to believe, or that, you know, so many of these things in our environment that we we aren't capable of handling. And to run around with uh, you and Juliet and to know what's possible with human body and, and to see the way that you're bringing this elite performance universe down to uh, the rest of us has been very gratifying over the past decade or more. Um, thanks again so much for for sharing all your stuff with us. The book is The Built to Move, The 10 Essential Habits to Help You Move Freely and Live Fully. Um, go check out the Ready State app at the Apple uh, iTunes store. Incredible self-assessment, which I really, really appreciate. Anything else before we wrap this one up, man? Thank we've, you, we've Chase, for holding the door open. I have to tell one last story. I was texting with a coach in Hawaii because I'm sending in this team to go. They're competing there, and I want them to go to their gym instead of whatever. He's like, oh, I'm so glad. you. It's so ironic. He's like, I was just bootlegging some old creative live videos to send to my staff. So <laughs> what I Love want it. everyone to know is that the work that we have done here with, with Chase continues to be such an important part of empowering people to just feel a little bit better. And really this book was born out of that first experience where I was like, okay, I'm realizing that I've created a technical manual, but I'm not showing people how to create composition. So thank you once again for helping oh, us. We appreciate it, my friend. Love it. Love you. Say hi to Juliet. Lots of love to you and the family. I can't believe you got teenagers. God, that just happened so fast. All right. We're going to stop talking about being old. My uh, dear friend Kelly and I from, I'm in Seattle. You're somewhere in California. We both bid you adieu. Until next time, I'm going to go run these experiments that I promised. Built to move. 10 essential habits to help you move freely and live fully. I'm out. You got it. You good? You good, Kelly? All good. Thank you, everyone. All right. Bye, everybody. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, Chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community. All of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away, all of that has a collective, massive, positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing for this show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together. <music>